This is Humans of Non-League, a podcast about the people who live and love football outside the spotlight. My name is Chris Nee, and this week's human is a true football polymath. Jonathan Faduba is a football consultant, scout and analyst with The Guardian's Football Weekly, 442 and Football Radar on his CV, along with Just Football, which he established himself as far back as 2007. Jonathan, welcome to the show. Chris, thank you for the warm introduction and uh, and the invite. I feel sort of quite quite uh, quite nice with you reeling off my CV there. It's quite quite a bit of a trip down memory lane. So uh, thank thank you very much and thanks for having me on. And a trip down memory lane for me as well because we go back a decade now, but we've not spoken for a good long while. So it's really good to catch up. Yeah, it is. Uh, really nice to hear from you. And uh, like I say, it's re- really nice to sit down with you and um, and be invited on. Thank you for thinking about me. So I definitely want to catch up with what you've been doing. But before we talk about your work in football, let's go back to learn a bit about you as as a football fan who do you support i know the answer to this question who do you support yeah you're getting all my secrets out here because it's something i always kept very quiet uh, over the years but um i support manchester united it's probably quite obvious by now to anyone who's followed me for any period of time um used to have a season ticket at a club uh, when i was younger so i used to travel up from the south you know a southern man because they used to say and um yeah i used to you know i was at Mos- moscow for the champions league final uh one of my best memories in football and a few other games i could reel off but uh once I started working in football, it was obviously more difficult to have the weekends free um, to go and watch United. And obviously, you know, the round trips were quite long. So um, in the end, I haven't been able to go as much as I'd like in the last, pretty much since Ferguson left. Do they still have your heart? Yeah, 100%. 100%. I mean, it, it never leaves you, does it? I, I, I think I said, I keep saying to one of my friends at the moment, whenever we're watching games and sometimes we're on WhatsApp together and I, I keep saying it's like smoking some of the games, you know, it's like... Um, you know that you know that you're going to come out with it with a bitter taste. You know you shouldn't really maybe do it, but you just can't help it, can you? It's it's just too addictive. You know, obviously I've been spoiled, so I can't complain. Or you know, um, but certainly the accusations I used to get of being a glory hunter, those days are sort of long gone now. <laughs> no, no one no one says that anymore when I mention United. On a more personal note, where did you grow up? Where was home? Uh, Essex. So um, yeah, quite a long way, like I say, from Manchester. But my, my father um, was a United fan. And kind of he used to talk about Bobby Robson and that kind of thing, Paul Lintz. Uh He, you know, really liked Paul Lintz around the time in the 90s when I was sort of growing up. So um, that's what got me into it. And uh, yeah, yeah. Sort of, so like I say, Southern southern boy, but um, Manchester's got a place in my heart. You won't have been alone in those days in Essex as a United fan, I imagine? No, not at all, no. <laughs> it was uh, a lot of people. It was always, it was always United for Liverpool, basically, around here. Um, Col- Colchester United is kind of my... my Second team. Okay. Um, I remember the days of Lumano, Trezor, Lua, Lua, best player I ever saw at Leia Road. Um, so I had some friends down here and we used to go and watch games or sometimes we'd like sneak because Leia Road was really small. You, you could climb the fence essentially to try and like could take a peek at the ground. Uh, really compact, really like really nice ground. Um, a lot of childhood memories of Leia Road. And yeah, we used to sneak up and look, you know, climb over a little fence to try and look, get a peek at the ground or sometimes we'd get into games. And yeah, Lua, Lua was a, at the time, obviously, um, Colchester is probably arguably the best ever player. I was playing for a, a Sunday league team in Bournemouth, and the guy who ran our team must have been the only Colchester United supporter in Dorset. And yeah. he used to go on about Loa Loa like he was the best thing since sliced bread. No, don't get me started on Loa Loa. <laughs> I mean, uh, there was one there was one goal he scored where he ran from the halfway line and beat about four players. That to this day I still talk about one of my, with one of my childhood friends, but one of the best goals I've ever seen live. And obviously, as as a kid. You're just starstruck, aren't you, Chris? You know, you know when you you when you're younger, football's just it's like it's like the theatre, isn't it? It's like it's like a movie or something. And uh, yeah, it was uh, that that those days kind of sort of really sort of got me into football, and it just grew into an obsession and, and a passion that's continued to this day, really. There aren't many Colchester goals I remember, but I can remember that one. Yeah, well, then Newcastle signed him. Mm. Bobby Robson came down, and that was like at the time it was like, what's you know a Premier League? What's a Premier League type club doing at Colchester? And uh, eventually they signed him. He went to Newcastle, and the rest is history. Did you ever play? No, I wasn't really a great player, to be honest. Uh, there's no, there's no huge playing career to speak of. Obviously, just a standard, 
school and you know university that kind of thing but nothing nothing anywhere near like the likes of you know people we watch or people like that what position did you play for university well, I was a uh, number ten. So of course uh, you were. I used to, I used to I used to think of myself as the like t- people used to call me uh, Tino Asprilla. <laughs> so uh, that that was my style of play, basically. Like you know, a bit languid yeah. but very creative. I think I had a picture for Raquel May myself. Yeah, that, they were the sort of players that uh, I got compared to. Dwight York was also one that I used to sort of get compared to a lot. But uh, yeah, like I say, my talent never was even close to getting me pro. So. Did you ever have ambitions in that direction at all? No, not really. No, not really. Not not, not and I was not good enough, so it was never really. A, an option um didn't really play enough when i was younger to sort of have the real opportunities to have you know to really get that far but um obviously played it for, for fun and that kind of thing in a school but after that it kind of died away we first met about 10 years ago so you'll have to forgive me for going on memory um for this but you were working outside football at the time is that right yeah so i um i started working in in banking and finance actually funnily enough and uh, yeah long story short in terms of my journey, um, I sort of graduated from uni and, and I, I got immediately got a job in the city. This is like literally before the financial crisis. So um, it was a peak time in that sense. And, you know, I was working in banking and it was very nice money, but I would sort of commute or I lived in London for a while. And I was doing that and it just, there was no passion for it whatsoever. I just, I wasn't interested in equity derivatives or, you know, equity swaps or trading on, trading on people's life insurance policies. You know what I mean? I remember one time, I was working for a very famous bank and one of our tasks was to go through the spreadsheet of all the all the all these people's like you open the spreadsheet and it was a list of names like like Judith Judith Perkins age 78 Dorothy Dorothy Daisy age 59 and and as you became as you became aware of it you realized that we're basically trading on when these people are going to die if you know what I mean it was like an insurance policy yeah. sort of thing which is quite normal but uh to me it was just very sort of soulless and heartless and it, it didn't really just wasn't me so um, that's kind of where just football, the idea of it started. The kernel came in my mind of like, you know, what, you know, what can I do to be in football? And I, I used to just obviously consume as much media as you did, Chris. I remember at the time when mm-hmm. you, you know, when we sort of met and I remember you were very passionate about football, you know, when we were getting involved in it. And um, yeah, it just used to be sort of something after work that you'd do or you'd be thinking about it. And then I remember starting a blog. It wasn't, I didn't even, it wasn't even, I didn't even know what blogging was at the time. But basically one time after work, England had just lost the... Um, European qualifiers, you remember against Croatia at Wembley? Very much so. Uh, the Wally with the Broly. And um, I was like, I remember the Evening Standard and all these papers were sort of blaming it on foreigners in the Premier League, saying there's too many foreigners. We need to get Didier Drogba out of the Premier League and bring in like <laughs> uh, Steve Hughes. I think it was Steve Hughes, was he at Derby? can't remember the, the forward at Derby County. Right. You know, and if, if he was in the Champions League, then England would win the World Cup type thing. And yeah. it, it was such a misguided argument. I remember just going home and I was like, I had all this, I had all these things in my mind. Like, I was like, no one's giving any other reason except for we need to get rid of the foreigners. And uh, I just wrote like a paper. I just started writing down on, like, a, on my computer. Uh, and um, the different reasons why is the first ever, ever blog for, on just football, which I still sometimes look back on because it was the beginning of it all really. And I just wrote about the academy system and how basically, you know, England's academy, this is before P. and I wrote about how England, England's, um, you know, the academy system was not helping us produce good players, was it, at the time? And uh, I, I wrote this long piece kind of just going into all these different reasons that I hadn't seen touched upon. And then someone said to me, you should, you should, you should set up a blog, you know? Like, and I was like, okay, what's that? And uh, I remember researching Blogspot one night after work. Uh, I think I was up to like one in the morning, mm-hmm. you know, and then ended up putting it on a blog. I think two people read it, maybe my mum and, and maybe one friend, but maybe not half of it. And uh and I was like, this is quite fun. So I started doing it every week and it kind of went from there, really. Just football still going in, in various forms now, but in terms of the, the writing 
and content production side of things. How many other people have been involved in those 13 years? Yeah, so you're making me feel old with the first 13 years. It's unbelievable, isn't it, really? Um, it's, it's, it's sort of grown and, and ebbed and flowed, to be honest, because it began as a one-person shop, and it was just myself for many years. And then we started to gain a kind of a niche in the sense that a lot of people who wanted to work in football, maybe younger people who wanted to have a career in football, you know, as writers, you know, journalism at the time was, was growing, wasn't it? There was a whole blogging community, mm -hmm. which... Chris, you were part of, and you know, it was really exciting at the time, wasn't it? So there was, was a real buzz about it. There was a real kind of like feeling of a community spirit with, with us. And then there was like the mainstream, the mainstream media type thing. And we were kind of like, at one point we were kind of competing, weren't we? It was like a little, <laughs> you know, and then they started to hire all of us. So, so um, <laughs> some basically, us. yeah, some, or yeah, basically. <laughs> but so it kind of grew and, and, you know, I would try and give opportunities to younger writers and just try and help them um, become a journalist. People used to obviously find me on Google. Uh, find the website and then contact us to say how can I become a writer and we started to bring in other writers to try and grow the site or I would assign different leagues to different people because I, I always wanted the site to cover world football I've never been good at really just narrowing in on a niche if that makes sense to a certain extent I, I like just looking at different parts of the world and and I know they often say don't they like get a niche and just stick to mm. it but um, just football's always tried to be very broad but I think there's 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 positives and there's, there's negatives so we had a team of around four or five at one point uh, and we were covering a lot of different leagues and a lot of different things. And it was re really good, you know, people, different columnists. Um, and then obviously as it, as it comes and goes, people move on. Like well, one thing I'm really proud about with Just Football is we managed to help a lot of people move into, into careers within, within journalism or within media. Um, you know, people went on to work for The Guardian, people who went on to work for Opta, people who went on to work for PA. So that's one thing I'm really proud of that helps a lot of people now today that you look at who are in the, in the, in the industry kind of started maybe at just football and I, I would edit their, their articles and try, try and just make it, you know, if they, if they weren't maybe as experienced, I'd try and give them some pointers and, and uh, it went from there. But, you know, just what was always like, you know, Chris, obviously the media, it's always an ever changing landscape, isn't it? So, um, uh, you know, we've now moved, we then moved towards more maybe podcasting in, in recent years, obviously with, with life as it goes on, you, you need to find a, a stable income as well. So it became quite a challenge blogging at one point, but um, I've never, sort of stopped it just because I, I enjoy it and it's something nice to have under the just football brand you recently launched a coaching concept which i think is absolutely fascinating how did that come about yeah so basically um i i do quite a lot of working on league and um that's something i'm not sure we'll talk about shortly but uh, i i really i sort of saw that there's an avenue in terms of coaches wanting to get experience and also there's a lot of players who don't get the one-to-one -one coaching that they need maybe one thing I've identified and sort of realized is, and, and this is just through the consultancy work that I've done, I suppose, which we can talk about is you get a lot of players who get released from professional clubs um, these days. And especially now in 2020, you know, I think I remember reading something that there was 1,300 players out of contract um, in, in June. And that was obviously during the pandemic. And it was a real, there's, there's a real talk about what's going to happen. What's the future of football? And, and I feel that players don't really maybe get enough contact time once they're released from academies or once they, once they leave maybe those clubs, to then progress and, and stay in it. You get, you get a lot of players who are really talented, but they don't maybe have that connection with a, with a coach or with someone that can work on their game. And even in the pro game, one thing I've noticed is players don't really get a huge amount of one-to-one -one contact time. They do, their, they do their individual training, but you, what, you'll, what you'll notice, um, Chris, is that you, you very rarely get players who have really detailed individual training. So the aim of it, and it's something, a project I'm working on, and it, you know, it's been difficult with the pandemic, mm -hmm. but obviously something I'm thinking about is how can we connect you know, young aspiring coaches who want to work in football, who maybe have a level one, maybe have a level two, um, who want to work with players and want to work on sessions. And, you know, I've done my, my, my level one badge and I loved it. And um, that contact time with a player can help both people, can't it? It can help you as a player grow and it can help you as a coach get that, get that experience that maybe it's going to be hard to get if you're 
you know, there's only so many jobs in football, aren't there, coaching? So if there's a way I can help connect coaches and bring a community together of, of, of coaches um, to, to also talk about tactics, just different trends in the game, different opportunities maybe, and then also connect them with maybe players who, who need that. That's something that I thought about doing with Just Football. So um, something we all worked on. And like I say, with the pandemic, it's been really quite difficult just because of all the regulations and, and contact time and distancing. But uh, yeah, it's a concept that we, we came up with that, you know, we had quite a good feedback from, to be fair. One of the other strings to your bow is football analyst. What does that entail? To pick up the story in a way, obviously from Just Football, the site got quite, you know, started to do fairly well. As, as I mentioned to you at the time, so many sites were doing really well, weren't they? And um, I started to work for 442 a little bit and um, they, they asked me to do some columnist writing, you know, around African football at the time. And then eventually I, I went to work for them. Uh, when I left, um, sorry, before I went to work for them full-time, I had a period where I worked for Football Radar, which, uh, which they hired me as an analyst covering the French league. And um, they, they're kind of a, a company that does statistical modeling, um, which is more for like betting markets and that kind of thing. Or, or predictive modeling. Sometimes they work with clubs and that kind of thing. So um, yeah, I was hired as a, as a French football analyst. Obviously I speak different languages, French being one of them. It involves, long story short, Chris, a lot of a lot of watching football, a lot of, we basically had to cover like every single game in the French league pretty much. And you would sort of cover the teams. You would have to have detailed knowledge of every single player in the league. Um, what is their potential? What is their ability? How strong is this team versus how strong is another team? And, and really what I realized at the time, because this was, this was um, early, early 2010, so, you know, 2011, 2012, that's sort of in 2010, it was the beginning of XG, to be honest, because no, at that mm. time it wasn't really a familiar concept. But what, what we were kind of doing a lot, a lot of the time was modeling shot qualities and, you know, what, if you're watching a game, what is the quality of this shot? And, um, you know, what now has become XG and it's quite common was, was then quite rare or quite not really well known. So a lot of it was watching games, determining like the ability of players, the shot qualities, and they would use that data. And then obviously they would do their own thing with it. And, you know, um, the, the higher people would, would, would work on trading in that sense. Um, but my role was just covering the league inside out and just having an inside out knowledge of, of, of French football. So for a good period of time, I was well in with League One. And it's a league I really enjoy anyway to this day. But yeah, I, I had ridiculous knowledge. I think I remember at the time thinking to myself, like, there's, there's no one on earth who knows more than me about French football in this moment in time. <laughs> it, was, it was just ridiculously geeky. Like, you could name any player... Um, I remember Emiliano Salah, obviously, you know, yeah. the tra- tragic case. But I remember when he came through at Bordeaux and he came from Argentina and I remember having to do a report on him and what's his potential ability. And he'd come from this small academy in Argentina. And I remember, you know, he was like 16, 17 at that time. So it was really sad when obviously he passed away. Um, but I remember, you know, it was things like that. It was that, that kind of detail. Like even a 17-year-old in the academy, you'd, you'd need to know inside out. And that translated to my ability as an analyst to, to analyze games and, and, and sort of maybe working for all that, that side of things. Just as a quick aside on the conversation, you speak five languages? Yeah, I think that, you know, it's uh, the, the, the level of quality on them is, is, <laughs> is sort of goes up and up and down these days. You know, um, obviously I speak German and my German is probably, you know, it's probably not as good as it once was. Um, Portuguese as well, which is probably nowhere near as good as it once was. But uh, yeah, like I say, I, I can speak five languages. So um I've been lucky enough to travel around the world and, and um, experience different cultures and, and learn different languages. So, yes, yeah, a, a string on the bow, I guess. But, you know, I'll see, trying to, trying to stay humble about it. But, yeah, I think, I think the level has definitely gone down in certain areas just through not practicing it so much. Your analyst work has also taken you into scouting. And you not only have an FA certificate under your belt, but provable success as well. What took you into Talent ID? Um, so, yeah, basically, uh, long story short, I, we formed a consultancy. Um, it's called Future Global Sports. And um, it's something I've never really spoken about too much because it was really bubbling under the surface. But basically, when I left um, 442 at the time, 
I saw an avenue in in trying to help, not, like I said, non-league players, and and um, I really got into non-league around around that period of time. A lot of the analyst work I was doing, like I said, football radar, was so much in front of a computer. You know, what I mean, it was literally desk work all the time. Yeah. You, you would spend your whole weekend in front of the screen watching game after game after game. And after a while, it was like there was, I wasn't going to any football matches because there was no there was no time whatsoever. So I really started to miss games. You know what I mean? Like I said, I'd given up going to United. Um, I hadn't, I had no time to go to say Premier League games. And obviously even we, there's a whole debate, isn't there? And the whole conversation, Chris, around affordability of games uh, in general, football league or Premier League level. I think, so when I left, I had a real downtime. I remember when I left Football Red, I went, I went to St. George's Park and uh, I just wanted to go and look around. And, 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 and uh, there was a course there that I took, undertook and I started getting into coaching and, um, and I started wanting to go to games. You know what I mean? Just, just not being, instead of being at a screen, I wanted to go to games. So I started going to non-league games a lot became a real passion. I was living in London at the time and Harringay Borough was my local team. They've come a long way since, since where they were at the time because they were step five. Half the season would be cancelled because the pitch was waterlogged, literally. Um, really, really, what they, where they are today when they play Wimbledon in the FA Cup to where they were when I started watching them is the transformation has been unbelievable. Um, a, lot, a lot of it was because of the, um, the 3G pitch or 4G pitch they've got now. But um, yeah, I was, I was getting into non-league a lot and, and, and I started like networking with players and networking with like managers and, and I started to realise that you, you get some real ability in non-league. And um, this was around the time, obviously, Jamie Vardy became a, a huge story, but I started to speak to players and, and I'd be like, what, why are you here? Like, what, what do you, you've come from like Arsenal, for example, or in Chelsea. Like, why are you playing in front of three men and a dog? And um, you'd realise that it was a lot of the time, maybe not down to their ability, but just maybe they had a career and then they were ditched by someone. And then the opportunities weren't there and they'd never had that opportunity to, to, to get back into it. So it became something that I, I wanted to get into and, and help players if I could, um, just with my knowledge and my ability to identify players through, through the analysis work I'd done. And that became a path that I went down. And, and, and we had quite a lot of success, obviously, helping players moving into the pro game. Could name different examples, but uh, yeah, I don't want to go on too much about it. But, but long story short, yeah, that, that was an area that, that I kind of moved into. And um, I, I then moved out to Sweden, essentially, and, and, and did kind of a bit of work in in trying to help sort of players either from Sweden come to England or England go to Sweden. And, and that became a thing, basically modelling different qualities of leagues, trying to understand the ability of a player in England, let's say at national league level, can you play in the top level of Norway or can you play in the top level of Sweden or can you play in the second division of France? And that was a real project I, I quite enjoyed just trying to figure out the different styles of play because, you know, just football really, I enjoy different elements of football. I enjoy looking at different styles, different, different leagues and then um so that became a real challenge to try and figure that out and, and, and a project that, uh, you know, continues. Talk me through the process of watching a player for 90 minutes. Maybe someone you've already identified, watched a couple of times, you've gone specifically out of your way to, to give someone 90 minutes of your attention. What are you looking for? Yeah, it's a really good question. And uh, it's something that there's no way I'm an expert in it. I, I mean, I, I'm quite good at it, I think. But one thing I've noticed, uh, Chris, and, you know, in life in general, like you, there's always people who are better than you. What one thing I really came to learn watching games and going to games and you, you meet scouts, for example, at, at football clubs, the breadth of knowledge they have. I'll give you an example. I hope he doesn't mind me name dropping him, but Steve Foster at Leighton Orient, um, chief scout at Leighton Orient is, is, I remember going to a game once and seeing him and, and he's got like a notebook and he keeps like every notes on every player and he's got notebooks going back like years and years and years. And he can name you, you talk to him about a player and he knows he can tell you anything you want about that player from, from when he was, you know, 18 pretty much or 17. I'm always trying to learn and get better, basically. So, so it, there's no way I could say I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a bona fide expert, but I'm always looking for that, for that spark. Uh, there's different things I've been to told over the different years, you know, how do they receive the ball, for example? How are they under pressure? 
do they have i mean obviously i don't know maybe some people listening to this may have already done talent id courses and that kind of thing and they they break it down into the four corners of football it's kind of um mm. psychological ta- tactical technical physical and that kind of thing and yeah which you you, you learn that on your coaching level exactly one as well. and and so you break it you know in the fa i think they've done a lot of work in that and trying to trying to help players because i think in england and it you know it's a bit of a weird strange subject but it is kind of true in england we do tend to write players off if they're not big enough it's always what they like physically and then right he'll never make it he's not big enough and you can get so many examples of that and it's not just england you know antoine griezmann was told at, at uh, you know at leon i think when he was younger anyway in the french academy system he was told he was too small and you had to go out to, to spain to real sociedad and that's how he eventually you know um, had a career in spain he was told he was too small i, I remember interviewing him when i was at 442 and we talked about it but uh, in england it's very much the case like if you're you know but but a lot of the time, Chris, what you find is players players obviously peak and they grow at different times, don't they? They mature at different different periods. A player at seventeen maybe a physically maybe a monster of seventeen, but that might give him an advantage at seventeen. But by the time he's twenty one, everyone else has grown into their bodies, and his ability at seventeen is no longer translates anymore to you know what he is at twenty one. And and also it's the reverse. Sometimes you might have a player who's maybe a bit slighter, maybe not quite grown into his body at seventeen, but then at twenty one, you know he's a man and 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 he's a different prospect. So. I suppose it depends what level you're looking at and, and what you're trying to identify. If I'm relating it to, to sort of non-league, I, I firmly believe there's a lot of players at that level who can, can, can play professional football. And, and we've been lucky enough to work with some of them and help them improve their game and progress. And a lot of the time you, you work on different areas. It may, maybe it's just mentally. Maybe they didn't have the attention they needed at a certain club. Maybe there's something we don't know about. Maybe it's behind the scenes. We're dealing with human beings at the end of the day. And very often how you perform in your job, which you know football is a job, can, can be related to the mental side of the game. Yeah, it's a really detailed question. I, I, you know, we could sit in here and talk, talk about that for an hour, couldn't we, Chris, to be fair? But uh, it's really Absolutely. nuanced and, and, and difficult. But w- one thing I like to believe in, and maybe also with just football as well, I, I like to sort of try and help young players or young people get opportunities and, and, and progress in their careers. And sometimes they're overlooked. And, you know, it's the same thing when maybe we were in journalism, isn't it, Chris, as youngsters? Oh, you've got no experience. You've not done this. You, you know, what do you know about football? But... Um, if you've got that hunger and that enthusiasm and a, and a little bit of talent, I, I believe you can go far. So I've tried to translate that maybe into the talent ID side. Do you work primarily with those players who've, who've been let go from academies higher up or do you get young players coming the other way as well who, who are looking at getting in the pro game but just haven't quite been spotted at 16, 17? Yeah, it can vary. There was a period of time where I was, you know, and I still do try. Obviously, we've had a 2020 where it's been difficult football, hasn't it? But uh, there was a period of time where I was going to a crazy amount of games and it became like an obsession just trying to find players who, you know, who, 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 um, who looks good. And, um, you know, I could reel off, reel off some names, but it, it, it can vary, it can vary. You, you might get a player who's come from academy. I remember, for example, there's one player who played in the Champions League and he was playing at Hadley FC. I couldn't believe he was there at that time and I was wondering what on earth this, this guy had done from coming from the Champions League at Arsenal to, you might even, people listening to this might be able to figure out who he is, but I won't name him. Um, but, uh, I was like, how, how did you end up at Hadley FC? And he was a very technical player, but because physically he wasn't great, he had been released and then it was deemed not good enough. Then you're really fighting against it. His agent had ditched him. Nobody was looking after him. He, you know, you have to realise often with academy players in England, as soon as they're released, that's it. Their agent will not speak to them again. They're, there's no money to be made from them. So it's kind of like, see you later. Um, and then the next thing, you know, they're in the Conference South or they're, they're in step three. They're in more, much worse pitches. They're not on nice academy pitches, are they? It's a completely different world and it can really take time. I think Andre Gray spoke about this, where it literally took him about two years in, in, to figure out in his mind, like, this is a new world for me uh, and I need to readapt to it if I want to have a career in the game. And a lot of players, they'd never, they never, that two years is the end of it because they never, 
they can never recover mentally. You know, it's just they they released. It's a really down period in your life. You know, you've committed you've committed 10, 15 years to football since you were seven, eight years old or whatever. You know, 10 years or whatever. Um, and then you're told, right, see you later. Thanks. That, that leads to sort of mental health issues. How do you remotivate yourself? And it takes some time before you then go from that. And you know, Jamie Vardy is a good example. He was released from from I think Sheffield Wednesday, and then he went play for Stockbridge Park Steels, that kind of thing. And it took him time. But when, if you can remodel your mind and, and have the right people around you and, and give the right mindset, that's what I try and help with. You often find that players can then get back on their feet. They can get the motivation they need. If they're still dedicated and they still want it, they can then progress. And that can apply to someone who's not played in an academy and want, you know, it has come through. And sometimes it'll be players that maybe are 15 years old, they were told they're not good enough and they go and play non-league for five years. And then the next thing you know, they're 20 and they've got 100 games under their belt at non-league level. They're physically robust. They're decent. And if you actually put them in a, in a better environment, an academy system under 23s, you find that they thrive. And there's plenty of examples of that. And then the next thing you know, they're playing in, in, the, in the league structure and maybe even the ceiling of, of Premier League, potentially. Um, so it, it's, there's no either or. I look at both and there's advantages to both. What are you most proud of as a consultant so far? I think that there's different players that I've helped move into the pro game that I'm, I'm really proud of. Examples, okay, you know, we've taken one player from, for example, the Conference South to the Scottish Premier League. Uh, we've taken players from um, Step 4 to to the Football League. And what that really makes me proud because at the end of the day, Chris, I'm a, I'm a, I'm, you know, there's no doubt about it. I'm a, foot, I'm a football geek. Like, the, you probably, anyone listening to this is, you know, I'm a nerd. <laughs> there's no doubt. <laughs> there's no doubt about it, you know. Football, like, but I was never good enough to have a career, and, you know. Um, it was never on the cards for me. And in all these things I've done, I've, I've, seen, I've seen the media side of football. I've seen like the coaching side of football. I've seen the playing side. I kind of feel like I have a lot to offer in terms of what I know about the game. And like I say, I try and remain humble. I'm not trying to, trying to boast or anything, but I, I really feel like I know a lot about football. So how can I then use that knowledge to, to try and pass it on to other people? And, and, and the outlet originally was obviously blogging and writing and things like that. And, and I still have that passion. You know, I still love football at the highest level of the game. And, and, and you know, that will never, never, never go away. And I obviously have ambitions that in that sense. But if I can help a random player who's at step four and doesn't know anything really, has no one around him or someone who's been released and their agent ditched them and now they don't know where they're going. If I can look at their game and say, OK, well, listen, you're, you're actually quite good on the ball. You know, but you're stuck in a league where goalkeeper gets it, boots it up to the centre forward, centre forward miss, controls it or has a shot, goalkeeper gets it, he then boots up to the other side of the pitch and you're a decent academy player who's come from, you know, Crystal Palace or whatever and you're playing a centre midfield, you're not going to get the ball, you're not going to look good and that's, the, you know, so maybe let's take you, let's move you to say Norway or, you know, maybe there's potential for you to go to Sweden or somewhere like that, Scandinavia or France or wherever if you can help and Say, well, you're going to be on the ball here more. It suits your skill set more. You're not maybe that physical, but you, you know, you've got other attributes. And so for me, it's kind of like a, a jigsaw puzzle trying to, trying to figure out where can you help this person to maximize their career. My proud moments are helping people do that, essentially, yeah, helping them figure out maybe things they wouldn't have figured out themselves if it wasn't for someone maybe there that can, that can take the time to, to get to know them and understand them and, and, and help them move in, the, in that direction. That leads us perfectly into another side of your professional life. You, you're also a connoisseur of Norwegian and Swedish football. I've seen a fair bit of Danish and Swedish football this year, and there are some serious talents coming out of that part of the world in various places. Who's caught your eye lately? Yeah, so I, I mean, I, it connects because I, I basically moved to Sweden um, many years ago, and I, I wanted a change of pace from life in, in England. I wanted a new experience and I, and I moved out there. 
And part of it was also because I, I was doing some scouting work and, and that kind of thing. So, uh, like I say, I was looking a lot at different um, leagues and trying to analyse and helping clubs basically identify players who maybe might fit their league and that kind of thing. One thing I've noticed in Sweden, and basically because I was out there and I was going to a lot of youth games, I was able to obviously identify a lot of good players early. Long story short, when I came back, there was all this knowledge that I had. And I was like, again, like I say, Chris, probably the underlying theme of this, I'm a complete geek. And I was like, <laughs> all this knowledge I have of Swedish football, what do I do with it? Like, you're not going to tell your missus, oh, by the way, there's a, there's a good player in uh, <laughs> Elfsborg yeah. that I saw the other day. You know what I mean? No one cares about that sort of stuff. So it ended in the podcast world because I, I've got a very close friend that I worked with and, and he, he's into Norwegian football. And I said to him, like, you know, we're, we were having these long conversations about random players and stuff. And I was like, why don't we put it out there and do a podcast? So um, it started um, the Nordic Football Podcast. So, yeah, it's been a, been a really, really interesting season. Uh, the biggest story at the moment has been Buda Glimt in Norway, mm. um, who have just won the league for the first time in their history. Um, right up in the north by the Northern Lights. It's an unbelievable story. Many of the players are based around that area. So it's almost like, if I try and give an, an example, I mean, it's a bit of a, a weird equivalent. It's almost like, I don't know, Southampton winning the league with Hampshire-based players, um, you know, a majority Hampshire-based players or something like that. Um, it's an incredible story. They've got loads of players who've come through, Patrick Berg, for example. Um, Jens Petter Haug has been a huge talking point. He's just moved to AC Milan and we've been talking about him for quite a while. So that was a big thing. He was supposed to go to Belgium, but what happened was he was like, you know what, I'm having such a good season. I'm going to cancel that move basically and see what else comes up. And he ended up at AC Milan, uh, played against them in the Europa League and tore, tore them up at San Siro. And they signed him like a week after. Um, so in my role in terms of Sweden, there's been Isaac Bergman Johansson. He, he recently came off the bench against mm -hmm. England um, at Wembley for, for Iceland. Uh, born in Sutton Coalfield, so not too far away from you, Chris. And um, Yeah, I, yeah. <laughs> he's um, being a Villa fan. I've come across his story. I've seen him play as well. He's, he's a fine player. Yeah, and player. Um, Manchester United, Liverpool, looking at him at the moment. Uh, Juventus, he's, he's broken through at 17. One of the most creative players in the league in terms of his assists. And... Uh, um, really a breakthrough season I, I named him in our 10 to watch every year we do a sort of 10 to watch for the league and he, I named him in it and he, he's ex exceeded even my expectation to be honest so he came through um, there was Benjamin Negro and I, I was based in Gothenburg and he came through the EFK Jotoburg Academy and he was like a really really good player that you could see would go on he's now here in Wien he moves on um, Jesper Carlsen who moved from Elfsborg who had a really good season finished second in, in the table unexpectedly he's moved to AZ Alkmaar so it's a real hotbed of talent at the moment. They're really bringing through a lot of technical, multifunctional players who can play different positions, understand the game, um, can play off both feet, that kind of thing. That you know, that hybrid model of players now who can play in different positions and um, break lines and that kind of thing. So it's a really exciting league, and I think we've had quite a lot of success just because it's now more and more people are starting to focus on on that league, whether it's from a scouting perspective or just because it's, it's good football. I mean. I don't know if you've managed to see a, a glimp game, Chris, but their, their football is unbelievable, to be honest. They, they beat teams for fun, 6-0, 5-0. And it's really nice, entertaining sort of style of play. Think of Leeds, similar to that kind of intensity, high intensity, mm. in your face. Um, really good to watch. It's not just their battering crap teams. It's actually, they're really good players. On the other side of the border as well, I got quite into watching Sirius the season just gone. Just, uh, there was something about it. I think it's, the, it's something to do with the first game you see. And if it wins you over stylistically then you'll go back for more. Um, and I thought they were going to do really well. You know, they, they just looked like a team who, I can't remember which game it was, but they caused a bit of an upset and they were dominant. And I was convinced that they were going to do much better than they, they did at the end. But like you say, I, I couldn't persuade any <laughs> yeah, of my exactly. friends to watch them. No, they're really good. Like you say, they had, they had a new manager and he brought in a whole new game style. And we were lucky enough to get their striker on, on, on our podcast and talk to him about it and how he, he'd changed things. The pandemic meant that they had loads of time to work on training and he basically brought in this whole new style 
and had time to work on it. And uh, yeah, you're right. They were a really good team to watch this season. It tailed off a, a bit towards the end, but um, yeah, they were really good. He's left now and he's probably going to get another nice job. One of the players we spoke about very briefly earlier this year was was Mohamed Kudus, who we talked about before he moved to Ajax and got injured. The setup at Norshaland is noteworthy because of the Right to Dream Academy, which I'm sure you've got some level of familiarity with, with you, yep. your Scandinavian focus, even if Denmark's not not the bullseye. Is that sort of model something that you expect to be adopted more widely? It's a really good question, and you're right, by the way. Um, Norseland as a club are very interesting, and, and, and Kudus is a really good player. It was a shame he got injured against Liverpool in the Champions League because he was he looked really good in that game and he went off early. But um, it's a model that I could see happening. I think I'm sure you've been following like the new Brexit regulations and, and what's going to happen now, the changes to football. There's going to be a new points-based system in terms of qualifying for being able to play in England going forward in, in, in the United Kingdom. I think one of the ways around that, essentially, long story short, is going to be partner clubs and, and you know that kind of style of thing. So, although looking at Scandinavia, Scandinavian football, unfortunately, doesn't qualify enough. It's like tier six, I think, in terms of the rankings of leagues. Mm. So, what the, what the FA are doing is the amount of games you've played, and it depends on the level of football you've played at, and based on how they rank each league, you get points based on where you've played. Are you an international, for example? Have you played in the Champions League? Have you played in this level? And unfortunately, Norway and Sweden count as uh, and Denmark. I think Denmark's tier four, maybe. So maybe they're a bit, they're a bit more higher ranked, actually. They're, they're band four. But uh, no, sorry, band five, band five. Basically, it means that it's going to be really hard for players there now to get the accumulation of points to come to England. But the way around that, Chris, just to answer your question in, in a maybe long-winded way, but the way around that will be partner clubs. And I think what you're going to see now is a lot of, say, English teams, Premier League teams, partnering with teams, similar to the way that um, Right to Dream, I think they actually own Northland. So they have the model where they bring a lot of players from Ghana to Denmark. And, you know, they do a lot of work in their academy. I know some of the people there and the work they do. And, and they, it's a really holistic approach they have. They, 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 they work on the, the human being as well. You know, they help them get qualifications, education, that kind of thing. So that even if they don't work out as footballers, they can still have a career in, in life in general. But I think applying that to, to football now, I think you will see more partner clubs like the City Football Group, Manchester City, partnering with Lommel and Troyes. And they've got a club in Montevideo, I think. They've got a club in Australia, that kind of thing. Sheffield United as well, if you look at it, they've recently been in talks to sign Chateau or partner with Chateau and Ligue 2 in France. Um, what you'll see is that happening a lot. So that what you can do is obviously sign a player, send him out to X, Y and Z League. He gets the experience needed. He gets some game time in that league, accumulates the points required. And then obviously you sign him for cheaper than it would be if he broke through and you had to pay a lot more money for him. So, yeah, I definitely think the partner, partner system will, will happen more and more uh, as we go along. But Northland are very unique in the sense that it's, a, it's an African academy that owns a European team. And that's very unique in, in, in world football. And it makes them pretty exciting to watch as well. And I think it's to do with that slightly holistic approach in the sense that the players who come into the team already have a level of maturity, yeah. mental maturity about them. And if you watch them when they're in full flow, they're fantastic to watch because they just have no kind of set system in any kind of given 90 minute period it'll all change you'll be watching a game and and you know what back when i was watching it you'd have kudus to play one game up front and then he'd be sitting almost as a defensive midfielder deep line playmaker really in another game and then your left winger would pop up on the right flank and it was just like this total whirlpool of, of football and then you look down the team sheet and you've got players who are playing their fourth fifth sixth games for the club and they always had come through the right to dream system yeah, 100%. And they, they've got their model and it's really successful. They, they, they coach them extremely well. 
and they, they encourage that kind of ability to play in different positions like you just mentioned. I, I don't know if you've seen another player, Kamal Dean, Kamal Dean Suleimani, he's another one yeah. who's going to come along. Um, so yeah. it's really... Yeah, left winger Yeah, exactly. Sometimes. So it's almost like a <laughs> conveyor belt, really, where they have real top talent. And um, and of course, then they sell them on. I think it was a record transfer for Kudus. Um, so that then allows them to reinvest into the academy, of course, and, and, and try and find even more players. And you definitely... You know, there's so much talent in in countries that maybe don't get a huge amount of attention um, in general, like Ghana, for example. There's a huge amount of talent there um, that, that they've managed to tap into, and um, I think they've done it really well as well. It's not it's not it's not exploitative if that makes sense. You know, sometimes you have academy, sometimes you have people investing in different leagues around the world, and it feels a bit exploitative if that makes sense. They've they've done it in a way that it really focuses on the players as human beings as well, and um, I can only commend that to be honest. Just to finish off by bringing it back to the main thrust of this particular podcast, do you still get a chance to enjoy non-league as a supporter? No. <laughs> I'll be honest, <laughs> no. Uh, it's, I still enjoy it as a supporter. So uh, I'll give you an example. I, I went back to Haringey Borough um, about a year ago now, watching a player, and um, Haringey have got a bit of a, the Haringey Massive, basically, and they, uh, they, um, <laughs> you know, they got a good, good, good thing going back when we had crowds, Chris, back when it wasn't controversial to stand like within yeah. a metre or someone. And uh, I remember the, the rabble, they call them, and they stand at the back and they've got these like, you know, um, shakers and they were singing the songs. And I was sort of standing at the back and I, I took a little video and I was like, you know, I miss this sort of stuff. It's, it's, it's quality. And obviously because it's Haringey, I was watching it, but I was watching a team, a player on the opposing team. So I had to keep a little bit focused. But um, no, of course, I enjoy it as a fan. And uh, that's part of the, 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 the joy and the passion for it, isn't it? I think, Chris, as well, I know you do a lot of work in non-league um, up where you mm. are. It's kind of work, isn't it? But it's also it's also enjoyable, and it's also your passion, and um, that will never go away. You know, like I, I can't wait till fans are back, and you know, I can do that again because it's it's you know, you really after this year, one thing you learn is you definitely miss that, don't you? So um, yeah, I, I still enjoy it. I still uh, you know, I still look at non league as an enjoyable pursuit, and then if you happen to see someone who's decent, then yeah, fine, that's good. But uh, I will say, obviously, a lot of my Saturday three pm's are spent kind of. Okay, where am I going to go today? Like, who, who's who's good to watch? Like, what should I focus on today? So it's not like I can follow one team week in, week out necessarily. Well, Jonathan, it's been really great to chat again. Thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, thank you so much, Chris. Um, appreciate your time, obviously, and thanks for inviting me. Like I said, where can we find you? Uh, there's many different places. I think maybe probably maybe the main place is um, just football or at JF Football on Twitter, JFFUTBOL, um, the Spanish spelling. Someone someone else has just JF Football, so that was always the reason why. If you're listening to this and you want to give up your handle you know where I am <laughs> but uh or just google just football uh, and it should come up just football.com and yeah that's, that's or the nordic football podcast obviously you can google that and I'll, I'll probably come up so um at nordic football on twitter but uh yeah many places to find me if you if you need perfect if you've enjoyed meeting jonathan you'll like our other episodes as well don't forget to subscribe to the show if you haven't already leave us a review wherever you get your podcasts humans of non-league is a sphinx football production thank you for listening <laughs>